0: What's up, y'all? This is Cece, and welcome back to another episode of the 21st Century Cripple. Today's episode is going to be about the topic that is mental health and minding our minds and dealing with anxiety and depression that comes with having cerebral palsy. But I want to reiterate to my listeners, because I know not all of you are disabled, um, you don't have to be disabled to suffer from anxiety, depression, or any kind of mental illness. It affects a lot of people in this country, so this episode is not just for disabled people to relate to, it's really for everybody to relate to, but because I am disabled, I can speak for my part in the community and I also understand that if you do have a physical disability, there's a 22% chance that you have Um, a mental illness or anxiety depression whatever it may be that accompanies with that physical disability so who better to speak on it than somebody that understands so you don't have to be disabled to relate to this episode today but we are going to speak about the very real very important topic that is mental health and we are going to have a little bit of a history lesson on the prevalence of regarding mental health in this country um and Dealing with it in the 21st century and how we have to face this together as a united front, and something needs to change as far as policy, policies, and mental health. But we are going to get into it today, guys. So thank you for sticking with me. This is Cece, the 21st century cripple, and this is the mental health episode. All right, you guys. So let's get this started. Um, We are talking about a very real topic today, mental health. Um, Mental health is not just a trigger word. It's not just something that has become a hot topic all of a sudden. Mental health has always been an issue in the United States and with all of humankind, I'm sure for all of history, but as far as the United States is concerned, it has always been an issue, at least federally and um, regarded nationally, as far back as 1946. And you can't speak on a topic that is mental health without giving a little bit of a history lesson behind it because there's a lot of false narratives and false information that always seems to be floating around the internet nowadays. So kind of the first half of this episode is going to be a history lesson regarding um, the federal implications that have come with mental health and why mental health has taken such a back seat in this country, it seems like. Um, so the first half of this episode is going to be a history lesson on mental health's history in these United States. And then the second half of the episode is going to be my personal experiences dealing with mental health issues and having cerebral palsy and, you know, just trying to make my way in the world. And what I've learned Coming up and coming out of some of my depressive episodes. So I want to get this started by starting off a little bit of a history lesson. So my history nerds, you know, get your books out. Um, in 1946, harry truman signed the national mental health act which called for the establishment of the national institute of mental health that means as far back as 1946 y'all mental health has been a topic presidentially um, as far as politics goes and it has been brought to the awareness of the american public as far back as 1946 so this is not a new issue um, it has never been a new issue. I'm sure it was around in the 20s and you know way before, but as far back as 1946, is, it has been being acknowledged, at least presidentially. Um, in 1949, the National Institute of Mental Health was formally established. In 1955, the Mental Health Study Act called for an objective na- nationwide analysis of the reevaluation of human and economic Problems of mental health, meaning that in 1955, people were very aware that mental health was a problem, mental health needed to be acknowledged, and mental health had some correlation to the economic issues that happened in this country. So, again, this is not a new issue. It has always been a topic of discussion. It has just taken a step back for reasons that I will describe in a few minutes. In 1961, there was an action for mental health which assessed the mental health conditions and their resources throughout the United States and called for an arrival of a national program that would approach meeting the needs of the mentally ill people in America. Um, President Kennedy established this and also he established a cabinet to examine how the federal government can respond to the mental health needs of the American public. This is an 1961 you guys in 1963 president kennedy was the first president of all time to address congress regarding mental health in in this country and establishing that federal funding needed to be allocated towards the system that is mental health care um in 1965 president johnson promised to research specific specific problems such as schizophrenia, child and mental health problems, minority health care problems, and made amendments to Social Security to allow Social Security to cover mental health benefits and mental health care. Um, in 1977, President Jimmy Carter established the President's Commission on Mental Health and called for rep- uh, recommendations to be made Federally, to the president to, so, to make sure that the president of these United States was addressing the mental health needs of the nation. I want to reiterate this as many times as I can. As far back as 1946, mental health has been on the minds of presidents and has been regarded as a national issue and has been regarded as a health issue. It wasn't until the lovely president that is ronald reagan himself signed the omnibus budget reconciliation act which repealed the mental health systems act and left up left it up to states to fund um the care that is mental health and that is a really big problem because if you've been listening for the past five minutes, I've been saying that all of these presidents, until Ronald Reagan, have called for mental health care to be federally funded. And Ronald Reagan appealed this act and left it up to states to allocate the funds to mental health care. That is a really big problem because that means for each of our 50 states, there is 50 different ways and 50 different criteria that you have to meet to receive some sort of mental health care. There is no umbrella for mental health care as of 1981 because of Ronald Reagan. Um, so there is no one way to address mental health in this country. um, Each of the 50 states have their own laws. They have their own budgets regarding mental health. And you guys have to remember, if it's not brought to the senator's attention and it's not brought to, you know, electors' attention and spoken about on elections, mental health is not going to get the funding allocated that it needs to, you know, Provide psychiatric hospitals to provide the help that is needed regarding mental health in this country. So, because of Ronald Reagan in 1981, the United States took a really huge, giant step back that we have yet to recover from regarding mental health. Because, still to this day in 2020, it is up to the states to allocate the funding that is mental health. So, if you're in New York State, your mental health care. Um, Whether it be your mental health care plan or what happens to you if you end up in a psychiatric hospital or your billing for your mental health care is going to be different than if you are in Missouri or if you are in Texas or Louisiana or Florida or California. Each of these states have a different provision on what they consider to be mental health, who gets the help that they need, um, the access to health care, the coverage for health care, so... Since 1981, the United States has taken a real real step back regarding mental health. Um, no president has really acknowledged or even spoken about mental health literally until 2012 with President Obama. He signed an executive order Um, directing federal departments to expand suicide prevention to prevent and meet the current needs of veterans, you know, because he acknowledged that PTSD is a real thing and our veterans need the health care. So he was pushing for the federal government, just like President Kennedy pushed for, to acknowledge these issues and kind of take full command. And then again, in 2013, after Sandy Hook, he recommended, and you know, the push for gun care, gun reform, and gun control. He was recommending more focus on mental health care and access to mental health care, and calling for training of more mental health professionals, and especially dealing with the younger generation and children. Mental health has not been mentioned as a pre- in a presidential debate unless it's used as a trigger word. Or a popcorn word to get people's attention. But a president has not brought this up since President Obama in 2013, you guys. And since 1981, like I mentioned, Ronald, because of Ronald Reagan, um, mental health care has taken a huge, huge dramatic step backwards. Um, and we have yet to catch up. We have yet to make up for everything for the states taking control of the f- of the. F- Funding For mental health and we really haven't have yet to come back from that. Um, that is alarming because 17% of Americans that is 7.5 million people in these United States struggle with mental illness and they remain uninsured and they and 56% of those adults remain untreated. So whether for some reason or another, whether it be lack of access to a mental health facility or lack of access to insurance, they go untreated. So they're just living their life suffering or thinking something's wrong with them or trying to find other ways such as alcohol and drugs to deal with their mental health problems. They're going completely untreated. Um, there is one mental health problem there is one one, one mental health provider for every 529 individuals in the workplace. That is a huge disparity. One mental health provider for every 529 individuals in this country. Um, That in itself can explain the gap between mental health care and our access to it, because there is just plain and simple, there's a lack of hospitals, there's a lack of mental health professionals, there's a lack of attention being brought to the fact that we need more of these mental health professionals. Unless you actively look for these statistics, you're not going to find them anywhere. Um, so that is a really big problem. Among the disabled community, 22.94% of people with a physical disability suffer from notable mental illness issues, and they don't go treated, whether that be because of costs or lack of availability to see a doctor, but 22.9% of all disabled people in this country suffer from some sort of mental illness. As of 2017, 17.3 million adults suffer from one depressive, at least one depressive episode in their, night, in their lifetime, and as of 2017, 19.1% of adults have reported or um, stated that they struggled with anxiety at some form or another. Among the disabled population, with which I am a part of, obviously, um, the depression and anxiety can stem from being a financial burden or feeling lonely or sad, but 23% of the disabled community reported as of 2017 that they felt lonely from on a day-to-day basis, felt like they had nobody to relate to, nobody to speak to, and you when you really feel all alone in this world and you are being isolated and boxed in, um, it's easy to see how that could stem up and start to eat at you. Um, People with cerebral palsy, which is the disability that I have, um, people are at a higher prevalence to have a mental illness on top of their physical disability. Um, men and women with cerebral palsy are at a higher rate of experiencing five of the overall six, um, categories of mental health issues. So... You know, it's already a mental. It's already a public issue as it is. But if you're disabled, you are especially with cerebral palsy. You are, you are way more likely and at a higher risk to, to be, um, exposed to five of the six mental health uh, major mental health issues. You know that are addressed in this country, Um, and that's a problem because a lot of us don't have access to mental health insurance, mental health care is not an umbrella. It's not like physical insurance, which is already in shambles in this country. Um, mental health care is not an umbrella. So, you know, if, if you hurt your liver or you break your arm or you need, you know, a lung transplant or I don't know, whatever, whatever kind of physical, um, thing that you may need help with, it will be a lot easier for you to get that physical help than to receive mental health care. So that in itself can speak for like the mental health gaps in this country and why, like I said, there's one for every 536 people in the workplace. So there is a lack of access to psychiatric hospitals and to mental health care, mental health providers. Um, there's a stigmatization behind it. You know, people always make jokes about seeing a counselor or seeing a psychiatrist. When in reality, I really believe they should be on every corner because we need. Especially in the world and the economy that we live in with social media and bad news seems to be you know thrown at us you know every day we seem to be every dave chappelle said it best every day is like a disaster for us but it's true because we have access to it we can see what's happening all over the world and as human beings we're not meant to absorb that kind of trauma all the time so i really do believe that there should be a psychologist literally on every corner just like you see eye doctors and diet doctors and plastic surgery billboards. There should be billboards for psychologists, for psychiatrists, for counselors, just to lessen the mental burden that we have on ourselves and you know to speak about our issues. I think a big problem also with mental health in this country is we feel so hush-hush about it. We are, you know, either ashamed or we're taught at a very young age that you. You know, we just need to buck up and not speak about our issues, but that's bullshit. We need to speak up. It's clinically proven that if you speak about the things that you were going through, it lessens the burden that you feel and you start to feel a little bit of relief just actively speaking on the things that you were going through. Um, personally, me having cerebral palsy, um, I try not to let it get me down as much as an adult anymore, but I definitely suffer from depression and anxiety um just this week alone yesterday I had like a major panic and anxiety attack because I thought I lost my wallet (laughs) and I absolutely destroyed my room and you know it was a mess. It was a disaster. <laughs> I had to pull myself back together. But it's like little things like that that shouldn't really cause me to get so riled up. It it shook my world for about like five and a half hours. And, you know, the day before that, I had, you know, for whatever reason, I had, I was in bed for 12 hours. And if I wasn't awake, I was crying. So, I still struggle with it every day, but I try to make the most of every day that I can and try to, you know, be in the best of spirits. Sometimes I can't control the anxiety that I feel, but I try to at least try to get some reins on it because I know that um, I need to try to be better for myself. I do take antidepressants, so I'm not facing this alone. I'm not thinking that I could just deal with everything on my own. I do take antidepressants to help me and honestly it it does help me because before I got on these I woke up every day feeling like I was drowning. I woke up every day not wanting to wake up. I literally woke up every day in tears and now um, I'm on a very low dose but that doesn't matter but I'm you know I'm taking what I'm prescribed and I'm Doing what I'm supposed to. And, you know, I wake up with a little bit more hope. I wake up, you know, above that bottom line. And although I believe big pharma is a problem in this country, you know, that is why medicine was created initially to help us, not hurt us. So if you take it when you need it and you take it the way you're prescribed, it honestly can help you. And who am I to want to be a psychologist one day and to speak out against? you know, medicines that can help us, especially if we're dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, There are a lot of false narratives that float around the internet. About what is depression and anxiety and what you can be triggered by or whatever and such I saw this really annoying tweet where this girl just sounded really needy she was one of those pick me people and she was saying like if you don't text back and you leave me ghosted you're an abuser and like it it got like almost 20,000 likes on Twitter and I was just like spewing angry because I was like you are actively spreading misinformation about what first of all what an abuser is and you know you're creating this like false narrative for the people that actually have been abused throughout their lives and you know allowing people pretty much a segue to make fun and poke jokes at trauma and things that people have actually been through so if you are one of those fake twitter psychologists that take one generalized um um, psychology class and you think, you know, you learn a couple of psychology words and you start spewing them to the internet, I encourage you to stop because you're spreading a lot of information, misinformation, and it doesn't help, you know, it doesn't help the community that actually needs the help. You're creating a stigma. You're making people feel ashamed of themselves. or are feeling like they are crazy or they're just being crybabies, and you're allowing people that don't understand and don't have the wherewithal or empathy to you know, empathize with these people. You're just giving them all the more fuel to attack them. And that is not what is needed. We need, we need, First of all, people that can empathize and sympathize, but we need people that genuinely understand what the hell they're talking about and find active and healthy ways to help people cope rather than attacking them, calling them pitiful, or calling them crybabies. That is not what people who suffer from anxiety and depression need. Um, that's just not what we need. And If you're one of those people, shut up because you're not helping the situation and you're really mean-spirited and if you really think by calling somebody that's already down and out pitiful you're you're not helping anything anything at all but um i wanted to read for you guys according to the DSM5 what depression is so you guys don't think that I'm again just talking just to talk depression is persistent feelings of sadness and loneliness and helplessness loss of interest in activities you once enjoyed um can lead to chronic pain and digestive issues and it must be persistent for 2 weeks um that definition has to be accompanied with 3 or more of these symptoms Um, a depressed mood, weight loss or weight gain rapidly, change in appetite, slow down thought process, reduction of physical movement, fatigue and loss of energy, feelings of guilt, feelings of worthlessness, and recurring thoughts of death. Um, Generalized anxiety definition is worries often occur um, more than more than not so you worry more than you should for more than six months Um, and it's clearly excessive worries it's worries that you know you shouldn't be worried about but you know it it takes you from zero to 100 for no apparent reason um the worrying is challenging your control of your life and it has to be accompanied with these three or at least three of the following symptoms so eagerness restlessness and fatigue impaired concentration irritability muscle aches and difficulty sleeping Um, so I definitely, I definitely suffer with anxiety. Um, I would say more anxiety so than depression, but anxiety is like that. Bitch on my shoulder the devil on my shoulder that I can never seem to get away from I you know I get anxiety for some some honest real reasons but sometimes it's like literally like yesterday I couldn't find my wallet and I went on to a full-on panic attack because I felt like a failure I felt like I was you know I'm so irresponsible how could you be so stupid and lose your wallet you're so stupid how are you gonna accomplish anything in, in life if you can't even hold on to your wallet like all of these thoughts (laughs) started spiraling in my head and it literally took me five hours of cleaning my room and organizing my closet and getting my head back together before I calmed the hell down and went to sleep. So um, anxiety, I would say I personally suffer from anxiety way more than I suffer from depression. But you know, some days the depression kicks me in my ass too, but I try not to let that keep me down. And the antidepressants really do help me. But as far as anxiety goes, I really don't like taking anxiety medication because that shit works. <laughs> but it works in the worst ways because I'm only like 98 pounds. So whatever they prescribe me, it literally, you know knocks out all of my emotions and just makes me feel like i have like i'm a zombie so i choose to take my antidepressants over my anti-anxiety and just try to work through my anxiety rather than take medication for it and whether that you know is a good thing to do or not it's my choice to do so and at least i'm doing something about the depression that i'm feeling so i feel like i'm helping myself in one way so you know give credit where credit is due but um Specifically speaking to the disabled community, I know that a lot of people with cerebral palsy suffer from depression, suffer from anxiety, suffer from social anxiety because, like I've said in other episodes, I can't even go to like Dollar General or Target or Walmart, um, let alone like a bar or a fancy restaurant or out where drunk people are (laughs) without getting inquisitive stares and people looking at me all the time, um, the most obvious thing is when they look directly at my leg and then make eye contact with me really quickly and then try to look away like they weren't staring at me at all. Um, (laughs) But that literally happens to me everywhere I go. Um, people love to stare, and I know, you know, I'm 24, I should be used to it by now, but I'm not, and honestly, as I get older, it just makes me more frustrated, because I would think that older individuals would have the wherewithal not to stare, not to be an asshole, but (laughs) it doesn't always work that way, Um, it seems like Older people regress back to their middle school tendencies sometimes and they just love, you know, if they see someone different or see something different, their eyes just narrow in. And that really does create social anxiety. I don't like going any places that have stairwells or narrow places for me to walk. Any place that it looks like I might trip, (laughs) I'm probably not going to go just because I don't want to put myself through the constant anxiety of like, please don't fall, please don't fall, people are going to look at you, please don't fall, oh my god, oh my god, what if you fall, what if you trip on yourself? And, you know, again, that might be irrational thoughts, but it's literally like a hamster wheel in my head over and over and over again, so rather than put myself <laughs> through that, I would rather just take myself out of the equation. Um, even when it comes to, like, drinking in groups and going out with people, um, there's really only, like, three people that I would really go out with, my friend Leanne back in Texas, my friend Carly and her boyfriend Lance, and my best friend Anna. Those are the only people that I really, like, trust myself to go out with because they're aware that I have cerebral palsy, obviously, but they're not going to leave me. They're going to make sure that, like, they're holding on to me and they don't leave me behind. And also, you know, they're looking out for me. Um, I've had all of them tell me that uh, when I have went out with them, When I was back home in Texas in San Marcos, that like bouncers have approached them and been like, hey, man, your friend looked pretty drunk. And then they'd have to tell the bouncer like in the nicest way or whatever way that they did, like, hey, man, she's not drunk. She has cerebral palsy. She's just living her best life. Like, you could fuck off because I wasn't drunk. I really don't really like to get drunk, but I can't even go out and get one beer without people assuming that I'm, you know, absolutely belligerent. And it's really annoying, so I tend to shy away from social situations that have to do with any kind of alcohol because I don't want that presumption on me already. So that's part of, like, the physical anxiety, um, social anxiety that comes with having cerebral palsy. It's something that I'm always going to deal with because... I've always been stared at. I've always been belittled and made fun of. Um, You know, as I said in other episodes, I've got my finger cut off, y'all. I've been jumped before. I've been literally recorded falling and put on the internet for the world to see. So people will kick you while you're down. And they will do things to hurt you. And they don't give a damn. (laughs) You know, so... Because of that, I guess it's kind of shied me away from people, and I really only open myself up and go out with people that I trust and that I know are gonna have my back. But otherwise, like, I am a homebody. You can catch me at home. That's where I feel safe. That's where I feel the most secure because I know that my family knows what's up. And, you know, if I fall, they're just like, hey, are you good? (laughs) And they go about their day. They don't make a big spectacle of it and they don't treat me any less than what I am. Uh, My aunt and my uncle don't treat me any less than what I am and my, my mom and my dad, whether that be my dad, and my, or my stepdad and my mom, my brothers and sisters. My brother didn't even know what my disability was called <laughs> because it's not a topic of discussion. They just treat me like Cece. They just treat me like another member of the family. And I really do appreciate that because I know and have spoken to some people that their family didn't acknowledge their disability in the worst kind of ways. Um, and Didn't even let them know that they had a disability or just kind of been like, oh, just stretch and you'll be fine. Uh, we don't need that support and that creates depression and anxiety within ourselves already when it's coming from family because your family is invalidating the the emotions that you feel because of your disability. So, and and I'm very, very grateful to the family that God blessed me with and they have never made me feel less than what I am. And if anything, they have always built me up because of my cerebral palsy and never let me think less of myself. So, That has helped my sense of self-worth and my sense of, you know, having a good head on my shoulders, but again, um, in some... Some days you can't help the depression that you feel, you know. I'm unemployed right, right now. I'm waiting for a call for my most recent interview, but and I have my fingers crossed about it, but you know, I did go to college, but I've been out of college for a year and a half, and I'm still struggling to find a job. I'm still struggling to make ends meet, which is why I live with family right now, because I can't afford to live on my own being a disabled person on SSI, and a lot of people with cerebral palsy are going through this exact same thing. They're Struggling to uh, meet ends meet, they are struggling to have friends or put themselves out there with people that can understand them, or they feel like they're constantly being judged or talked about, or the people only see their disability, and that doesn't help any situation regarding anxiety or self worth. Self worth. So, I completely and understand. Um, my friends that have reached out to me and their reservations about putting themselves out there if they do have cerebral palsy, but my testimony to that is you have to put yourself out there because I only have two friends that I've met in person that I know have cerebral palsy. The rest of my friends are able-bodied people and if I wouldn't have put myself out there and shared my experience and my story, but not only that, I'm more than my cerebral palsy, shared my personality with them. Um, I wouldn't have all the wonderful people in my life. So you have to be willing to put yourself out there to some extent if you want to have that close-knit support in your life. So if you're scared to do so, please don't be scared to do so. If you're physically able and you don't have a disabled friend, I encourage you to make one. And you're disabled have disabled friends, I encourage you to try to make able-bodied friends, because this is not a disabled versus able-bodied problem, you know, we all need to be in this fight together, um, but, you know, if we close ourselves out to one group of people, how are we supposed to you know, spread what's really happening. Disabled people know what's happening within the disabled community. It's the able-bodied people that don't have any idea, you know, so we have to be willing to put ourselves out there, and, you know, I'm not saying I have a whole army of friends, but with a handful of people that I do have in my life, I feel blessed and very loved and very supported by those people, um, and I have been through a lot. I've had a finger cut off. I've been jumped. I've been denied by my own biological father. I've been denied in relationships. I've been written on bathroom stalls that I was a cripple bitch before. Like a lot, like everything that's majorly dramatically happened in any kind of stupid teen movie. I swear, like it's it's happened to me within my lifetime, but I refuse to let it keep me down. And I, you know, whether it's my faith in God and I, you know, I'm not a churchgoer, but I have a very strong faith in God, and I have always believed that God put me here for a reason. God gave me cerebral palsy for a reason, so please, this is just a side note to the podcast. Please stop praying over disabled people. It's so rude and so disrespectful We didn't ask for you to heal us and we didn't ask for you to pray over us We literally just came to church today to talk to Jesus just like you did We didn't ask for the whole congregation to pray for our healing in some ways. That's like Spitting in God's face because you're literally telling him what he did was a mistake or a flaw. Um, And I don't see cerebral palsy that way. And if you have cerebral palsy, I hope you don't see yourself that way. But I'm off that religious soapbox. I just had to get that off my chest. But depression and anxiety within the disabled community is a very real thing because we feel like we don't have people to speak to we don't have people to level with nothing in this world seems to be accessible we have trouble you know within the workplace and getting employers to understand like please don't fire me but i might need some accommodations or when it comes to dating you're afraid to put yourself out there because you are disabled and there's a lot that comes with being a disabled individual you know But, you know, if we don't know in this life, we'll never try. And if we are letting our mind and our perception of ourselves keep us down, then we're always going to stay down in that dark place. You're going to get knocked down a few times, guys. I'm telling you, I have been knocked down so many times in my life, but my favorite thing about myself is I get back up. I, you know, I've been denied in relationships. I've been hidden in relationships. I've been lied about. (laughs) Like, you name it, it's happened to me, but that doesn't stop me from loving. It doesn't stop me from, you know, hoping one day that the person that I love comes back around and we make it work and end up back together, but... (laughs) Besides that, like, I really do believe in love. It doesn't bar me. I'm not one of those people with a chip on my shoulder that just hates everybody that's not disabled and you don't understand me. How could you ever? Because I don't want to be that way. I want people to understand, yeah, I have cerebral palsy, but I have probably something within me that I could teach you. Um, I know that my own personal very best friends, Anna, Billy, Michaela, Leanne, Carly, um, Lance, Amanda, I have taught them something about my life and, you know, society and the things that I go through just by being their friend, just by simply going out with them in public. They see how rude people can be. They see, um, the things that I went through while I was going to college. Um, they couldn't fucking believe that I couldn't get covered by the disability office at the university that I went through. They were like baffled. They were like, bruh, you are disabled, and I was like, I know, but this is just, you know, a part of everyday life. So having that good support system, I think, has really brought me out of the deep, deep, dark depression that I was in in high school, because I'll be honest with you, this is a mental health episode, so, you know, we have to be honest. I used to cut, I used to burn. Um, My legs have cut marks and burn marks on them, Um, because in high school was just an awful, awful, awful time of my life. I was made fun of every single day. I was followed around by people. People would follow me behind in the hallways and, you know, pretend to walk like me. I was pretty much made the butt of the joke. And, um, when you're 17, 18, 15, whatever. Um, I graduated college. I mean, high school when I was 17. So, um, you know, when you're young, you know, a young teenager trying to come into yourself and people are treating you like absolute garbage for most of your being, you know, it really does affect your mental health. I, um, I used to cut often. I used to, my method really was burning myself. I would take Incense and you know burn the scars on my leg because it blended in with the scars So nobody really knew what I was doing, but um, that's not a healthy way to cope and I don't encourage anybody to do so Um, Self-harm is not the way to go and it's not going to solve any of your problems I understand that it may be a form or sense of relief but that relief only lasts for so long before you're going to need to face the issues that you are feeling. So if you do self-harm, whether you're disabled or not, and you do self-harm, that is not the answer. And I'm not just saying that just so you would stop. I actually studied this in college. Um, the effectiveness releases over time and eventually you are going to look for other more serious ways to cope so i encourage you to reach out for help and to find someone that can help you overcome those emotions that you feel when you feel like you're about to self-harm um but i used to think about dying every day i used to be depressed i used to think that the world would be better off without me and really the only thing that stopped me was thinking of my mom and my brothers and uh, my brother and my sister um you know, I love them. They, they mean everything to me, but especially my mom, Of course my siblings, but my mom is my everything, my absolute everything, and I I would never do that to her. So my mom is what stopped me from (laughs) taking my life, and I'm glad that I didn't because life is so worth living. And, you know, I go through some hard times, and I go through a lot of shit, but I'm still glad that I'm here. I'm glad that, you know, I have the family that I have, and I have the spirit that I have because God did put me here for a reason. And whether I'm fulfilling that reason or not... You know, I'll find out later, but life is worth living. And those really, really low points are just something that we have to look forward to get over. Um, So whether you're disabled or not, and you've been in a really low point in time in your life, You can overcome it. If you need someone that could be your ear or be your person to listen to, I will be that person because I'm telling you, I have been through it in my life. But I refuse to let it keep me down and I know that something good is going to happen. It may not be tomorrow and it may not be next week, but I know That something good in this life is going to happen for me. So I'm not going to take that opportunity away from myself just because I had a bad day or a bad moment. And if you feel like you don't have anybody that can relate to you or will ever relate to you, I promise the world is a very vast and wonderful place. Although there are a lot of mean people out there. There are good people that can understand and can sympathize with the things that you're feeling. I'm learning that even now, just doing research for this podcast and reaching out to people to hear their experiences Um, that... <laughs> A lot of the things that I was feeling throughout my life, whether that be ashamed of my disability or feeling like nobody understood me or how the hell am I supposed to live off of SSI when that barely affords to pay my rent, what about all my other bills? You know, a lot of the things and anxieties and fears that I deal with as an adult having cerebral palsy, literally almost every other person that I've reached out to have felt the same way or they felt isolated or felt like they don't have any friends or feel like nobody can listen to them or because of the way that they've been treated, they kind of shut themselves off from the world. Um, but again, you know, I've had a whole limb cut off, y'all. I had my finger, the top pinky bone, um, cut off in middle school. I was 13 years old. Um, Because I was the new cripple girl in town. So I, you know, I've had the worst of the worst happen to me. But I refuse to let it keep me down. I literally still went to school that very next Monday. After having hand surgery and everything. And, you know, I was made a spectacle of. People were looking at my hand. And like, oh, look at her cast. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know. So I've kind of had the worst of the worst things that happened to me. And I'm sure other people really do have it worse. But you have to believe that. There is good and good could come out of it. You have to be able to flip your experiences and turn them into gold. And, you know, in the words of my favorite rapper, you know, there's beauty in the struggle. Um, so you have to love yours. Like, You have to love the life that you're given and really encourage yourself to find those supportive people in your life that make your life feel like it's worth living. Even if it's just one person or two other people, you know, you need those people in your life because Feeling understood and feeling heard can lessen the burden on individuals so much, whether you're disabled or not, but especially within the disabled community, because I feel like a lot of us internalize our issues or feel like nobody's going to understand or we don't speak on our issues because we're already going through enough. So I don't want to speak about the mental things that I go through, but I encourage you to end that thought process and talk about the things that you're going through because you're not going to get through your problems if you don't speak on them first. Um, As many of you know, I am a marijuana enthusiast, (laughs) but I also don't encourage you to smoke weed um, to escape, don't use it as a form of escapism, use it as a form of relief, you know, make sure you talk through your problems and work through your problems, whether you write them out, work out, speak or vent to your friends, have a praying session and a talking session with God, uh, you know, listen to music the loudest way that you can, whatever you do to release the emotions that you're feeling and go through them, then you light up the blunt (laughs) but don't do it as a form of escapism because when you come down the problems are still going to be there and you know they don't just go away I wish I had a you know a wand to make it all disappear but unfortunately we don't have those capabilities as of yet as human beings but you know maybe one day we'll be a part of the Harry Potter world or whatever (laughs) but um you know and be able to pull memories out of your head the way like Dumbledore did you know but that's that's for another topic. I'm a super nerd. But um we have to band together you guys and it took all of the Avengers, all of them. All of them. To beat thanos so we have to band together disabled people and able-bodied people alike if we're going to beat the problem and face the issue that is mental health in this country we need to write our legislators we need to show up for elections we need to make it an issue for these people that are running for congress running for governor because it starts locally, unfortunately, due to fucking President Ronald Reagan. It's not a federal issue. It's not a federal umbrella issue as of yet. So we have to push our state and local legislators for some mental health, um, provisions and mental health change in order for it to gain national recognition. As of now, mental health seems to be like a trigger word on CNN and or in politics when speaking about gun violence. But I also, also because of my degree, I need to reiterate these these statistics really quickly. That mentally ill individuals are more likely to be victims of violent crime than to be perpetrators of violent crime, and. 25 to 40 percent of mentally ill people will be arrested within their lifetime. That is a surprisingly high percentage considering that only three to five percent of the violent crime committed in this country is actually committed by mentally ill offenders. So I need people to understand, um, the mentally- the mentally ill word that's perpetuated in the media today, whether that's regarding gun violence or whatever it may be, a lot of it is false narratives and they're using it as popcorn words and trigger words with no real research or care done behind it. So before you judge someone or say mental illness, no sorry. Maybe they just need to take accountability for their anger and their repressed emotions, but that they don't qualify all the time and most often than not as mentally ill, so I needed to also get that statistic out of the way because the criminal justice in me just couldn't let that sit. But um, I really want this message to sit with you whether you're disabled or able-bodied. We all deal with mental health issues and we shouldn't be ashamed of them. We need to be more open to speaking about them, whether that's to our friends or to our family. We need to make seeing a psychologist or seeing a counselor more normalized. Um, You're not crazy. You're not psychotic. You're not a baby. You're not pitiful. If you seek help from a medical professional that literally went to school to help you cope and deal with whatever you may be, in the slump right now. Um, we need to end the stigmatization behind it because once we stop the false narratives regarding mental health and mental stigma, we will be able to call for more psychiatric hospitals. We'll be able to call for more mental health professionals on every corner if we, if need be. So we need to start that conversation as the younger generation, as Generation X, Millennials, you know, whatever generation you may be, we need to start the conversation that is mental health. A lot of people suffer from anxiety, you guys. A lot of people suffer from depression and internalizing it and still, Just thinking that we're alone in this problem is what makes it fester and gets worse, essentially. Because we're not reaching out to anybody. We're not speaking about it. We're not talking about it honestly. um, And we're not talking with enough fire and passion. And that's what needs to happen. Um, It needs to be... Mental health needs to be considered a public health problem. A public health issue. Just like if you break your leg or break a toe or whatever it may be. Break your nose. Get into a fight um you know alcohol poisoning whatever you go to a doctor we should be just as easily accessible to go to a doctor in regards to our mental health care and i really am an advocate for that i want to be a psychologist because of that very reason and i'm never going to stop fighting the fight that is for mental health because it's very important our brain is the single most important organ in our body it's literally what separates us From the animals. So I don't understand why we don't mind our minds and we don't, you know, if something is wrong with our liver, our lungs, our heart, we're going to go to the doctor and get that treated. So if something is wrong with our brains inherently, we need to treat it with the same amount of care and love and respect. And I know that sounded like a real hippie thing to say, but it's true. We need to mind our minds. We need to be kinder to ourselves. We need to stop the negative self-talk every time we think we're slipping into a depressive episode or, you know, we might be ashamed of ourselves. That's what perpetuates it as well. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Mental health has always been an issue always been a problem, always been something that has been needing to be addressed, but for reasons lack thereof, whether that be presidential campaigns or public stigma or media or whatever it may be, you know, mental health seems to have taken a back seat, but I'm fighting for that to be more prevalent in the 21st century. You know, 21st century cripples gotta make something happen, so... You know I'm fighting for that change i'm if you're going through something and you feel like nobody hears you, I hear you, I will be your pioneer. I will be your person to listen to. um, but we need to fight for mental health care, whether you're able bodied or or disabled alike we need to fight for mental health care. We need to realize that mental health is an issue in this country, and because of mental health issues, substance abuse issues and alcoholism is on the rise because rather than You know, seeking a professional way and a clinical way to deal with your health. We're literally, you know, going the ladder. We're like, well, I'm just going to drink this away or I'm going to pop this pill, pop this perk or the zany to deal with what I'm feeling. And that's not the answer. Like I said, when you come down or you sober up or whatever it may be, the problems are still going to be there. And the emotions that you tried to numb the night before are just going to come resurfacing. So we have to. Be cognizant that we need to deal with our issues and face our demons if we're ever going to get through them and pass them. And, you know, mind your mental because your brain is the most important precious organ in your body. Um, it's what separates us from the animals. So we need to mind our minds, we need to be kinder to ourselves, and we need to start having an open conversation about the topic that is mental health. And it starts with me, and it starts with this podcast, and it starts with this episode. So remember you guys, my name is Cece, I'm the 21st century cripple, and I am fighting for active change in mental health. And this is my mental health episode, and this is Mind Your Minds.